So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Hey, this is Jack, episode 23 of Team Jack. We don't have an episode title. We'll figure it out. We'll get there by the end, hopefully. Today, Matt Cohen, who has no microphone, so he'll be sharing with me um, on the, what do you call that thing? A mixer? Yeah. Yeah, he's on the mixer. Um, and Ryan Conlin. Condol. Condol. <laughs> C-O-N-D-E-L. D-A-L. D-A-L. It's all good, yeah. And uh, this is the this is usually the part where you sling your uh, Twitter handle. Uh, it's Wrath of Condal. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. You might want to spell that though. Uh, wrath at at Wrath of Condal. W R A T H O F C O N D A L. All one word. That's brilliant. Let me check that. It's a lot of letters. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of letters. <laughs> also with us, Brandon Allinger. You got it. Right. Not Gur. Yes. Not um, Gur. And you're on Twitter. Yep. And it's Brandon Allinger. Wow. You might want to spell Allinger. that. You might want to spell that. B-R-A-N-D-O-N-A-L-I-N-G-E-R. Right. Also, do you want to pimp the pro Twitter? Uh, and Prop Store Twitter, of course. Which At is, Prop Store? I guess that's what it is. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that's Let's assume that's our Twitter name. Yeah. I don't think, it, I don't think I don't, it gets a lot of use. I don't, well, I don't, I don't handle the Twitter. Someone does. The Twitter in London? Yes. Is the Twitter handled out of London? Yeah, we tweet from London. But I think we have our Twitter and Facebook linked. So anything that goes onto Facebook is also tweeted. Right, right. Um, Cohen and I, if you're listening, Cohen and I, you know enough about us. So Ryan is a screenwriter. Do we talk about the current project? Uh, sure, sure. Well, we. Uh, I'll let you do it. I'm currently working, or I have been working, and go on. as far or not as or or not as far as you wish, because we'll, we'll veer off wildly. We'll be talking about um, <laughs> octopus Japanese octopus porn in about five minutes. Anyway, I'm, I'm so. good with that. That's what I, that's <laughs> what Brandon told me. That's <laughs> that's what I can't that's right. <laughs> exactly. It's an elevated version of that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, currently I've been, well, I've been working on it for many, many years, but, uh, currently we've, we've picked up a good head of steam. I'm working on a project called Hercules, which, uh, Brett Ratner will be directing and, uh, The Rock has just, uh, signed on to star Dwayne Johnson. 
which hopefully has been announced or else you're going to be in trouble in about three days from now. It has. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's all over the place, including his, um, very well followed Twitter feed. So. Right. He's got like two million followers. Yeah, no, it's crazy. That's a lot. So does Prop Store. (laughs) No, they don't. No. (laughs) I think I have Not even 200. (laughs) Um, and that is based on the uh, yes. Hercules by Barry Levine's Radical Comics. Correct. Radical Correct. Media. Radical. Look for them on the exhibit hall floor at Comic-Con. Yes. They, uh, this July. They, they, uh, reinvented Hercules and it's this kind of, uh, dark reimagining of the, uh, of Hercules from a perspective of, um, you know, what if there was this man called Hercules and nobody knew, uh, whether or not he was a god. It's this very, uh, historic uh version of greece um right. that uh there are it doesn't doesn't look like clash of the titans there are no uh, ostensibly no gods no monsters no magic and mm-hmm. it's um you know the his his burdened life living as this uh supposed living god and who wrote the pilot as it were who wrote the first book uh the uh it was a, it started as a five issue miniseries um steve moore uh wrote it it was uh-huh. a uh English, uh, author and, uh, and they had, a, there was a second, uh, second five issue miniseries too called Knives of the Kush, which is actually very good where they venture on to, uh, to ancient Egypt. Uh huh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the art in the, in the, um, in the books is, is terrific as, as with everything radical. Now, um, Jim Steranko. Yeah. Famous Jim Steranko, who, if you're listening to this, just Google, uh, S T E R A N K O, Jim Steranko, who's, Famous for lots and lots of different things in comic book land. In my universe, he's most famous for doing concept art for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And having published a magazine called Media Scene Preview, which is spelled P-R-E-V-U-E, where he did an illustration for The Empire Strikes Back as a wraparound cover that I like bought from him and had signed, not the original or whatever, but he's still selling prints of that Empire Strikes Back cover. So in my universe, that's what he is. In a lot of people's universe, he's, he's a famous, famous Captain America artist. Yes. Right? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a comic artist and all that. But I mean, the image that when you say Jim Strangle, the image that pops into my head, uh, other than Hercules, of course, yeah. uh, is the, uh, the famous, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark concept image with, uh, Indy Smith smoking the cigarette. He's got the in leather the desert with the, the trucks jacket. Coming I up think the he was the him. first guy to actually draw Indy in yes. the hat and jacket, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. first visualization of that character. And there were four paintings that he did for them. Brandon jumping think, in. This is Brandon. This is podcasting. <laughs> I think What's he up? lived in Texas at the time or something. And so he did these all remotely. They just sent him, I don't know if they sent him a script or a, I doubt it. a synopsis or, or just a description of what they wanted and then he did these paintings and sent them back to you know raiders the raiders production company here in california right those are yeah i mean i'm sure you know the images are all over the internet everyone would know them if they saw them they're just yeah jim steranko raiders just run a google images search on that and you'll see there were only four images that he did four yeah that's interesting one of them is indian the desert with the trucks coming up the dune with the jacket with the leather jacket the famous hat the second image is what? Do you know all four? Uh, do I? I think he's in the snake pen in one, isn't he? There's one with a big cobra head sort of, uh, you know, coming hey, up. Hey, Colin, can you, um, are you on our Wi-Fi? Can you pull up, can you run Google Steranko Raiders? Because I'd be interested in the other three images. There's the one where he has the cigarette. And right? are they for sale? Right, that's, one, that's like him standing in, in the in the desert, like at the Ark uh, 
excavation site, basically, right? Yes. It looks like an excavation site. That's the one that's popping into my head. Right. Because in the original story, he was Indiana Jones was like a drunk and a smoker and all that sort of thing. Okay, here we go. Cohen for the win. Let's, um... If you guys want to, like... This disc is, like, not... Okay, uh, there we go. So there, there's yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of, right? That one was... Wasn't that top... Was that it's top one also image. a cover for media, media scene preview? For an issue of preview? I think it was. Because... All, that would be the front cover, and this business on the left would be the um, the back cover. What up? Um, yeah, Indy jumping onto the Nazi truck, which is right out of the film, or winds and up then in the film. Indy um, fighting the mechanic at, under the who, flying wing, who is not Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall is the pilot of the flying wing, right? Yes. Yeah, but that sort of looks like the pilot there. Yeah. So maybe. Um, anyway, take a look. Yeah, take a look. Uh, so Steranko, who still has this unbelievable thick mane of white, white, just, yeah, snow like, white hair. Right. Like he, he looks, he looks <laughs> like, uh, like one of his characters. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really just insane and, and shows, still shows up at the, uh, radical booth. I mean, I've been to Comic Con uh, last four years running and I think I've seen he's, him there pretty much he's every there year. Every year at, usually in conjunction, not with radical, but, with another publisher's table. Anyway, and he's uh, he's often in a white suit. Yep. Yep. Um okay, so back to Hercules. Steranko does the cover or the entire book? Well, he did he did the 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 very f- one, the first cover that came out for the first book. The okay. first issue of the first book, which does have the lion head yeah, sort yeah. of he, he there, there were there were a couple of like variant covers and he did he did the famous the one that got the most, you know, the most Attention. acclaim. Okay. And then uh and uh uh, Barry Levine, uh, enterprising young fellow he is, right. went and actually had that um, image tattooed on his upper arm. And Barry Levine, some people listening may know that he ha- has. Does he is he still in serving in his capacity with Kiss or not? Uh, I don't think so. I, he knows all those guys. He was the well, yeah. he was their manager right. for ten thousand years, right? And and yeah. photographer and yeah, and, and the whole various thing. other things, yeah, totally. So he's still, he's still tied in with all those guys, but his his number one uh, uh, pursuit now is is movie producing through his company so, Radical yeah. Media. Right, there's a website I'm sure of it. Radical Media, Radical Comics. I think it's RadicalComics.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he's also making this movie called Oblivion that's uh, starting shooting I think in a week. Is that and, Tom Cruise? Yes, it is. Yeah, directed by Joe Kaczynski. Yes, director of Tron Legacy. Correct. Right. And Oblivion is also based on, is that based on a radical that comic book? That is a radical book. book. Yeah, that Kaczynski actually, it's, it's Kaczynski's original Created. material, yeah. Right. Yeah. Which was initially set up at Universal, right? I believe so, yeah. And then after the, shall we say, disappointing results of Tron Legacy, they pulled the plug. And where did it get set up, do you know? Uh, I want to say Sony is doing it now, but don't quote me. Or no, that. you know what? I think the thing was... Well, was it always at Universal or was it maybe going at Disney? No, it wasn't going at Disney because he was going to do the oh, remake right. of the Black Hole, which that's seems right. to have fallen into its own black hole so, yeah. in the wake of the disappointing results in of Tron Legacy, irony. which, to be clear, is like one of my favorite movies in recent history. But uh, the conventional, was, yeah, conventional wisdom is that it didn't quite do what the studio didn't wanted it to do. Didn't it do okay money-wise in the end? I think I think international propped it up a bit, yeah. so I think I think it did fi- it did just fine. Yeah. But they were they were hoping for something bigger. But and it's always weird with one of those things because it like it definitely made a profit. It definitely made its money back. But I think um, 
it's it, it would if it's considered a disappointment, it would be because they had greater expectations for its yeah. performance. It's yeah. also worth noting, though, that in terms of relaunching a brand, and here we are, um, John Carter opening weekend. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, the TV series is is still coming, the Tron Legacy TV series, yeah. this summer on Disney Extreme or whatever that, what is that? channel is called, Disney XO. Television? XD? Disney, or just XD? Disney XD? Disney XD? Got it. And that TV series was actually also created by the writing team who, I don't know whether they, I don't know how many writers there were on Tron Legacy, but these are the guys who sort of, I think, at the end of the day, wrote off with the sort of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the guys behind the TV series as well. Everybody, I, honestly, so many of my friends are completely obsessed with Tron Legacy. It's one of those movies where... I like it. Great soundtrack. Amazing sound. Yeah, the Daft Punk is uh, amazing. Wait, so what? Brandon, you got to hold that closer to your. What's the television series? It's going to be a live action show or an animated show? No, I think animated. Hmm. And it's set before Tron Legacy, so it's set between the events of in the original Tron from 1982 and the events of Tron Legacy. So it's set in a universe in which Clue is firmly in control of the grid. I think Uh, there was just a article on it and the LA times and the first image was released and stuff like that. So I don't know. Anyway, um, Brandon, you want to, uh, shift the weight. Usually we don't have two guests and it's where you guys are both perfectly welcome to come back on your own any old time or whatever. But I saw you both at the, why don't you decide that after the podcast? Like, Hey, you guys want to, um, so Brandon, I met through the world of movie prop and costume and set deck collecting. We, probably met at comic-con right uh very possibly a year or two or three ago yeah god knows um I remember exactly yeah well i certainly or maybe at one of the Battlestar galactic auctions no we didn't know each other no. like while that was going on um so i feel like i feel like we met i think we met at comic-con okay Let's i don't go know anyway Comic-Con. whatever that was the place so brandon runs prop store la um, propstore.com where you can go buy, you know, screen used hero or film props and costumes. Over 5,000 given items in your time. inventory at any one time. Yes. That are, that are actively for sale on the website. And they're all basically original pieces of film memorabilia used in the production of a major film or television show. So right. everything from hand props to costumes to set decoration pieces to production artwork right. um, to behind-the-scenes type stuff like crew jackets and clapperboards, any, anything relating to the film production process. Right, including some, you know, any anything from like a cocktail napkin from the Club Obi-Wan from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or whatever, all, all the way up to... It's some incredibly expensive. Yeah, I mean, we have a serious range of stuff. I think. I think. What's the most expensive thing that you've got sitting there unsold right now? You don't have to say the price, but what's the? Um, I'm not certain to be honest. It might be. For a while, it was like a super. It was a Christopher Reeve Superman costume that was into us on consignment from Superman Three. Right. And at the other end of the spectrum, I mean, you know, the lowest items are probably call sheets from movies that start at nineteen dollars. Continuity Polaroids, yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's something for everyone, or we'd like to think so. All we basically need to do to establish the geek cred of the entire company is say that you have the the one and only no backup uh, f- 
filming miniature of the Nostromo yes. from Ridley Scott's original Alien, which you guys have rescued and meticulously restored. Yeah, that's probably the highlight of our company collection in Los Angeles. Right. So in addition to you know making our living trading in this material, we're all big fans of cinema and of film props and costumes and the artwork that goes into these things. Everyone right. who works at the at the company or most everyone is a collector themselves. We're very passionate about it. So we have a company collection of pieces that we're archiving for the future that are not for sale, but that you can come and see at our galleries. Right. But it's also worth noting that probably nobody at either the LA or London office is, uh, over the age of 60. So when you say that you're all lovers of cinema, there's not really any, there's no one on staff who's really a lover of say the thin man, or Gone with the Wind, that if you're listening to this, basically these guys love uh, what you love. Our specialty is... It's yeah. 70s, and eight, 70s yes, 80s, 90s, Hollywood blockbuster. Vintage for us is Planet of the Apes. You know? <laughs> and not the not original Planet we, of the Apes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From 1967. Yeah. No, Tim Burton. No, not to say that we don't have <laughs> an appreciation of classic Hollywood. And, you know, I certainly like and enjoy all those films. But the type of material that we have access to is primarily from films from the 70s onwards. The you new know, golden age. Yeah. Our golden age, certainly. Sure. Anything much older than that, classic Hollywood, it's just a little bit outside of the focus of what we deal with. And primarily that's because, you know, so many of the people who would have been first-hand people directly involved with that that type of thing are now gone. Right. So, whereas we know many of the Where people... Where did they involved, go? Well, I'm not sure. Dirt naps. But they're gone. <laughs> it's <Palm> over. <laughs> Cohen said Palm Springs, in case he's too far away from a microphone to register. So, um so that's our focus. As you'll see if you look on the site, there are some older things. We're primarily, yeah, from the Propstore.com. 60s and 70s onwards. Um, there are two lo- there are two loads of fresh inventory. Uh, you'll be competing with me. Uh, <laughs> this happens Monday through Friday, generally speaking. If there's a holiday in London or holiday in the UK, there will not be perhaps a load out of London. If there's a holiday here in the States, perhaps the LA office will not update anything. But generally speaking... At 10 a.m. London time. Which is 2 in the morning here in California. Um, but n- not in, not anymore. Now it's like 1 in the morning or whatever. I'm all, cause oh, we right, just, cause we just changed forward. today. So I think at the moment, well, I don't know if it's a 7 hour difference or a 9 hour difference. Yeah. But anyway, the, the basic model is that every day, every weekday, we post up about 7 to 6 new items, 6 to 7 new items. From the London office and then also from the Los Angeles office. At 10 a.m. Pacific time. Yes. So every day you have new stuff to look at, basically. If you go to propstore.com and click new editions. That's it. And keep coming back and visiting that specific page. Um, So, my fucking... Yeah, and the Nostromo, I have to say the Nostromo story is a fascinating one. Uh, The the piece itself and the things that it endured and and survived throughout its, its, its life. And I believe there's a very lengthy uh, uh, story about that up on the prop store website. That's definitely yeah, worth checking out. Yeah, series of videos about the restoration. Yes. Yeah. yeah, if you go to our site, you'll see lots about it. It's something that we've it's great. We've I spent mean, a lot of time talking about, but it's, just it's a, a big deal. Yeah, the, as a fan myself, to be able to be in the same room with that thing, I mean, it's got a gravitational pull to it. It's it's yeah. 11, 11 feet by like seven feet, and it weighs about five hundred pounds. I mean, it's it's, it's a serious piece of kit. You yeah. Know? Um, Brandon got his start, though, as, and this will be of interest to you, Cohen, um, by creating the Replica Prop Forum, right? Also known as the RPF. Yes. And then uh, 
taking your own sort of Indiana Jones styles at archaeological adventures to Tunisia. Was that your first trip? Uh, well, I got really interested in filming locations and so in seeing where they had shot my favorite movies, like the Star Wars movies and the Indiana Jones movies. Right. And what was your first trip? I think the first trip was to Death Valley, actually, because that right. was here in the U.S. So, you know, you could you could get there much more easily. So I went to Death Valley and I saw where they did a lot of pickup shots for the first Star Wars film and for Return of the Jedi. How many years ago was this? That was probably in like 98 or something. So 15, yeah, 14, 14. Um, and did you actually, did you find any, uh, stuff left didn't, over in didn't Death find Valley? Any stuff. I found all the places and, uh, the, the park ranger there had been there at the time they shot. So he had a bunch of slides that he had taken. Wow. Sort of behind the scenes stuff that nobody had ever seen. So that was great to see. I, I never got to see that stuff again, actually. Huh. But, uh, you know, from there, I really had the, the hunger to go see these places because I just thought it was great. And right. the big one where there's really a lot to see is Tunisia. And there were a couple guys, a handful of people at that time who had already gone out there and found the Star Wars and to a lesser extent the Raiders locations in Tunisia. Right. People like Gus Lopez uh, and Jeremy Beckett and a few other guys. And Gus had a great website called The Star Wars Traveler. And there was another website, which I can't can't remember what it was called, but it was a European guy who had gone out there and also found all these locations. And they basically were showing you on these websites, you know, and again, this is 14 years ago. Right. So these primitive sort of websites, what, uh, you know, they would show the the modern picture, this is the place, and then this is the still from the film. And it was like, wow, you know, these actually are real places that you can go and see. So I went out there for the first time in 2001, convinced my parents that we should go there for a family vacation. 17. And you convince your parents to go to fucking Tunisia yeah. at yeah. 17. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, I'm sure that e- even at age 17, they thought you were probably looking for a bit of sex tourism. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> when in fact, you were just looking for crate dragon yeah. bones. Yeah. They, bones. I think once I got there, it was their deep hope that Brandon was there for the sex tourism. Yeah. <laughs> William Burroughs had sadly moved on. Yes. Um, I don't know what you guys are talking about. That's okay. <laughs> and Tunisia was the first place where you actually did find some artifacts, right? Yeah. When you went to Tunisia, there was stuff all over the place. So, and pre- predominantly from the newer Star Wars films, the prequels, because they had just been shot there nine months before or something. I think episode two had just been shot there. And, right. uh, and so there were lots of sets that were just left in place there. Wow. And then the best for me was when you went to the Raiders site, the Tannis Diggs site, which had been, you know, this is 20 plus years after they shot. There was stuff all over the ground. So you'd just be walking around. There's big pieces of the fiberglass plane, the flying wing. Really? Pieces of plaster with hieroglyphs in them that are like, you know, set deck pieces from the digs there. Wow. And uh, that was just great. So I got as much of it as I could and packed into my suitcase and brought it back. The production being... Uh, not quite as green as production units might be today. They just fucking blew it up well, and the, left it there. The story is they hired local people to clean that stuff up and how well they cleaned right. it up. You right. Know, I don't right. know. I wasn't there. Right. Interesting. So what did you bring back in your suitcase then? And do you still have those pieces? Yeah, I do. Yeah, p- pieces of the plane, pieces of the fuel truck that blows up in Raiders that's next to the plane. Right. Uh, some crate dragon bones, like you mentioned, which is the thing that 3PO walks past in the first movie the skeleton that's out there right and other pieces from raiders with egyptian hieroglyphs in them which are pretty cool right do we know who has the crate was there there was a crate dragon skull wasn't there yeah i've heard different stories about that i don't know exactly what happened to it but um maybe a tunisian jawa has it (laughs) like a real life jawa (laughs) 
<laughs> there was Thank a you, there was a French guy named <laughs> Philip Vani who was one of the first people to go out there, and he had like an amazing collection of great dragon bones, right? Or as an, an amazing as a collection can be of great dragon, dragon bones. bones. Uh, so he just had lots and lots of them, and he might have had the skull or parts of it or something. But huh. you know, at, at that point, I had never seen anything that was actually used in a movie before. So to see something that was a genuine piece of the film. And to have it be from those films, my favorite yeah. films was you know right mega. there, were basically where they were left. Yeah, just pretty crazy. Yeah, on just, the dune, just literally sitting in the sand. You know, that's yeah, amazing. You found pieces of the sarlacc too, right? Later on, yeah, trip. that that was a few years later. I did another California trip because I was living in Maryland at the time. I grew up in Maryland on the East Coast, and so we took a trip out to Death Valley. Sorry, to uh, Buttercup Valley, where they built Jabba's sail barge. Right. Which was at that time the biggest exterior set ever built. And again, when you went there, as soon as you found the right place, there's stuff all over the ground, nails and wood. And by the way, never got named, did it? What do you mean? Well, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer, or the uh, so-called Super Star Destroyer, is actually the executor or executor, depending on how you want to roll that. But Jabba's Sail Barge is just Jabba's Sail Barge. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe you should name it. <laughs> the slug the Allinger the slug <laughs> thank you again Ryan you've already earned your keep <laughs> you got it <laughs> so you found some sarlacc out there yeah just little bits of sarlacc and you know pieces of wood off the side of it and wow all that sort of thing huh no Boba Fett no sign of Bo- uh, Boba Fett no no Boba Fett but maybe it's out there somewhere so keep digging down although Jeremy hole. Bullock was there signing autographs <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Dave Prowse, <laughs> and that um, this all predates your create your creation of the replica prop form. No, right? that's after that. The replica prop form thing was very early. I don't know when that was. That was like ninety five or ninety seven or something. I was been eleven. Say, yeah. yeah, it was when I was like twelve. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and then, then replicas quickly became sort of. Not good enough for young Brandon, and you had to m- move across the line into uh, screen-used hero shit. Yeah, so I was just collecting more and more, and through that, I got to know the guys at Prop Store in England, Steve right. Lane and Tim Laws, and right. a few of the other people there. And they Stephen Tim's Olmos, been working. Tim's been working with Stephen for that long, for over ten years, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. First first employee of Prop Store. Yeah, right. and Tim Tim's been collecting longer than. Basically, any of us. Yeah, Tim was at the f- infamous Aliens auction where all of the original costumes were sold from Aliens in 1987 Whoa. at Bonhams in the United Kingdom, and where you know Hicks full costume, like we're talking the hero metal armor and everything, was like 600 pounds or something. And did they did, given that it was Bonhams, did they have a printed catalog? I think there is one. Yeah. Wow. It's out there. Track it down. That's yeah. Track it down and then cry your bitter, bitter tears. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The things were <laughs> basically for sold for cheaper than it for cost scrap, to make them yeah. for the film. Different yeah. age of collecting. Different age, yeah. But so those guys, you know, Stephen always wanted to open an office of Prop Store here in Los Angeles. Obviously, with it being such a major hub of the film industry, and with right. there being so many different sources of assets here. Right. So we talked more and more, and, and finally. You know, that happened. Steven basically hired me to open the L.A. office of Prop Store. Right. So that was in April 2007, I think, when I moved out here and and we started that. Which is only fucking... Almost five years. Not long. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. And Ryan, how'd you get the fuck out of here? Out here? 
Uh, I uh, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, Where? In uh, Bergen County. Oh, uh, do we already rock the Jersey thing? I think I think you we know Kevin t- Smith's from New Jersey. I do. Just kidding. I do, and um, uh, I, I, he's also a. Uh, I'm a huge Devils fan. As as I, I I always see him at the when when the Devils come out here like once every other year to play the Kings. I always see Kevin walking around the <laughs> the, the concourse. <laughs> um, but uh, which is where, by the way, Staples. Staples. Yes. Mic up. Sorry. What up? You got it. Um, uh, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, and I, I went to school in, uh, outside of Philadelphia. I went to Villanova University. Oh, dude. And, uh, and then I... Uh, Jesuits, right? Uh, Augustinian, but Augustinians. yeah. Augustinians, yeah, okay. A, a very uh, conservative order of monks right. in the Catholic Church. But um, they, uh, I, I got a business degree there and, and spent... Um, uh, about five years after that, kind of languishing in in the uh, uh, marketing world, and uh, eventually made my way out here to Los Angeles. Always uh, chasing the the dream of of uh, trying to become a screenwriter, right. uh, writing the whole time, writing uh, bad scripts that no one would read, right. And then eventually out here, I started writing um, bad scripts that people wanted to read. Bad and scripts then, that people paid you to write, and then and then and then one day, <laughs> bad scripts that people paid me to write, which is the dream. So uh, yeah, so I I, I moved out here um, uh, probably just before before Brandon did. I think it was a year a year before Brandon. So I've been here just about six years. Not life. bad, son. And uh, yeah, not bad. Yeah, and I. I remember seeing you at Dave Zaritsky's house, and you were like telling me that you were hatching this whole plan to move out here. Yeah, whenever yeah. that would have. It was been, a pretty common. It was a. Maneuver. How did you guys meet? Through, I mean, through the collecting world. Yeah, yeah. through collecting. But we've known okay. each other forever. I yeah, mean, right. Again, for twelve years. Yeah, more. we were the young know. guys. So yeah, right, right. You know, um, but yeah, I, I uh, uh, yeah, I, I, so I've been now here for six years, which is, I mean, that's a really long time. I mean, it's essentially you know longer than I've lived any place as an adult. You know, not right. in my parents' house. Right. And did you start your the project the sort of famous slash infamous project that you've just come off is Paradise Lost, Milton's Paradise Lost yes. that was gonna go f- that was gonna go at Warner and Legendary to be directed by Alex Proyas, who directed yep. The Crow and Dark City. Yep. Um did you start working on that five years ago right away? No, no, that just was kidding. uh <laughs> sometimes it, <laughs> it feels just like feels it. like it, yeah, right? Yeah. No, I was I was on that for almost two two full years. Wow. Um I got I got involved just when Alex did. Right. And uh we we developed uh, a number of drafts together. Right, right. Um, Cool. And both of you, more, most interestingly, not only to me, but to all of our listeners, both of you were present at the uh, Battlestar Galactica prop and costume auctions put on by PropWorks. Yes, both of them. And did you buy anything more than that helmet that you sold to Shannon Wenlick? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Putting it out there. That's detailed. Uh, no, I didn't, actually. You just bought that one no, helmet. No, you, yeah. you bought a name tag or something. Oh, yeah, I bought, I bought the... Uh, that's See, right. I know more. He knows more. Than that. I, I forgot about it. So the, the pilot that the helmet belonged to, uh, Narcho. Um, although, I remember Narcho. Although we're, we're pretty sure, though, that, that... Narcho never really... Who gives a it, fuck? It, but, but it was a Viper helmet, and they didn't yeah. make that many of them, so we're that's pretty right. sure that if you took the time, you could probably match it to Starbuck or Apollo if you, you know, because... Well, yeah, the line is everybody... All the actors wore all the helmets. Yeah, basically. For Basically. the first couple of and Narcho se- is, seasons. And Narcho is barely on film, so even though he had a name tag in the thing, there's no way they made that specifically just for him, right. just given the, the the low number that were made. So. And did you pass that Viper nameplate to Shannon Winlick as I, part of I, that transaction? I, yes, I did. Excellent. I did. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I spend minutes, there's some, some days it's hours, of every day still midwifing, uh, or I should say like 
foster placing Battlestar artifacts and connecting collectors with oh yeah shit that's missing from their You're collections the and shit like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Crazy. I mean, that, it never goes away. There, there was some great stuff made for that. There was. They, they were great production. auctions. Yeah, you did not. Um, did you participate in the Christie's Star Trek auctions at all? No, that was a little before my time. Right. Uh, although I kind of, would you have? I kind of. Hey, Brandon, why don't you crinkle that open thing? That, why don't you open that metabolic, yeah. biotis metabolic life bar? Well, no, it was like, open it, and you kept looking at me like, yeah, open it, but you kept putting it closer yeah. and closer to the mic. Brandon's like, closer? It was like, separate closer? the arms and open it, man. Yeah. I just got to rip off the band-aid, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put it down. Brandon's yeah, about want, to enjoy his biotest bar. Why don't you do that? Um, would, you, would you buy, are you like a Trek guy? I probably wouldn't have. I just would have liked to have been there for the. It, it, it's kind of a historic event. I mean, that's that's the uh, probably the biggest central unloading of anyone. Certainly franchise. after the famous Bonham's Aliens auctions, of 1987. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the famous. Well, that that <laughs> the regret that of which we refer to now is the Crybaby auction. Yes, but that was like the start of a different era, you know, because that was the first big mega auction of a major franchise like that, where stuff was being made available directly from the source, and yeah. it was a different era. Real money was being spent. You know, the things were not just being liquidated. You're talking about the Christie's Star Trek yeah, auction, Christie's auction, which you did attend, right? which I was there for, and that was awesome that was just so much fun yeah yeah these guys actually ended up in a uh i think a biography channel yeah there was documentary a whole documentary about that on on the uh on the auction and and i was like up one night having insomnia and i was flipping through the channels and i was like oh the thing about the star trek auction i'm watching and I had this surreal moment where i'm suddenly watching brandon and steven yeah. and i think tim is there and adrian's there Alec peters is in it as well i and, think yeah. well trying to get into their booth but in uh skybox exactly so, yeah uh, the uh, skybox was, was great. It, it, that was before yeah, you guys, I worked you for got, Pop yeah, Stores. Yeah, you guys had like a luxury box. Steven knew the people at Christie's, and you know we were coming Steven with some Lane. of the bigger collectors. So he was able to arrange for us this private skybox. And only at Christie's do they have an auction floor like this, where there are skyboxes where you can bid like from above the auction yes, floor, looking yeah. down on the yeah. auction floor yes. like you're in the fucking arena. Oh, it's ridiculous. Geonosis well, or something. Looking down on the other collectors. <laughs> really. <laughs> And with wine and the whole nine yards, you know? Right. So, and there were maybe a dozen of us up there, and then there were a few guys who were really serious for, for some of the pieces, some of the models and things, and whenever anyone was going to bid on any of the big ticket items, we would all sort of go down in this, like, line right. of the dirty dozen coming down, right. stand at the back of the room, and someone would buy a model, and then we'd go back up and right. have a little more wine. So, yeah, it was great. interesting. It was a lot of fun. And but unfortunately, that- between, I mean... Battlestar wasn't anywhere near that scale because obviously Star Trek is a franchise that's been going on for 10,000 years versus the Battlestar prop and costume auctions were only for a show that ran four seasons. But literally, like right now, you're hard-pressed to imagine another franchise that could even generate an auction of of that even the Battlestar size, yeah. let alone Star Trek size. I mean, there weren't enough assets really of any consequence made for jj abrams first star trek movie to, to motivate even like a yeah, yeah i mean maybe a two-day auction but well the thing is that sale had like 40 years of material in it right yeah, so when, when yeah it's, the, it's all it's the original show right all yeah. the movies with the original guys the Next new generation shows, deep space and, Nine, and there were four Enterprise, new shows right yeah. yeah and then all the movies based on those on those shows yeah. which was really just next generation, and it was a big right? deal i think it brought a lot of new collectors into the hobby because i think they did a 
a worldwide or certainly an international marketing campaign for it. And I yeah. remember they had pieces on display at Comic-Con. Yeah. I know they had pieces on display in the UK. Uh, you know, it was a big event. There were people from all over the world there who were there just to be there for that auction. Right. Just kind of great. Yeah. And it was fun. Not dissimilar from Comic-Con or, well, not really WonderCon next weekend, but it's it's an event where everybody come, come, travels to town. Yeah. For yeah. a big geek-tastic orgy yeah. of spending in yeah. this case. <laughs> the hope is that one day Lucasfilm does something like that, but... good. Luck. Yeah, right. Or, by the way, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Not going to happen. Right. Um, Did Prop Store buy stuff at that Star Trek, at the Christie's Star Trek auction? Uh, I I wasn't with Prop Store that time, but I think Steven did buy a number of pieces. I think he bought a few models and costumes. And, you know, people were going in together and bidding on group lots lots that they were then going to break up and stuff. And that sort of thing. So I think most people who were there with us in our group in the box walked away with at least something. Right. The models are great. The models are just well. From a, they're like dinosaur bones now. Speaking right. of great dragon, right? It's yeah. Like, and again, you you just don't get opportunities to buy models from films of that caliber. You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I mean, they sold they sold the Enterprise A from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which is right. like a six foot model, right. and they sold the Enterprise D from the Next Generation, which is also six foot. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but, you know, these are the big hero models that cost six figures to build that are a big deal. And is the last um, is the last movie, is the last science fiction movie of any consequence that actually employed filming miniatures, Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers? Or were there, were there, was there a movie or two after that? Well, I think that was a big model show, mm-hmm. model film. But I think, you know, even today they're still building some models for... It, it just depends on what the project is, really. It depends on what it is. Like Chris, Chris Nolan, uh, for all of his, uh, Batman films has been a big believer in miniatures. Miniature and, tumblers. And, right, right. And, and, it's mini- a tumbler, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And miniature sets as well. And the thing you'll notice when you're watching, uh, the Batman movies is the Chris Nolan Batman movies. The, right. The Chris Nolan ones. Although certainly the Joel Schumacher and Tim Burton Batman movies also employed miniatures. Yes. But Ryan, go. Um, uh, but the, yeah, the thing you'll notice when you're watching those movies is that the, uh, you know that there is fake stuff there. You know that there, 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 in, in, there is CG going on. Right. But because there's such an, a great blend of miniatures and actual bigatures and the real, right. the real size thing, right. that it tricks your brain and you don't know. So it all looks real to you. Right. Now and that's what Lord, Peter Jackson did so well with Lord of the Rings is that right. he used all those the, the, lots the, of miniature miniature sets and everything that he had yeah. um, that you didn't know the mind's eye didn't know what was real and what wasn't and it all blends together and it becomes right. a believable image. So many other filmmakers now are just totally reliant on on CG right. and therefore it all looks fake. Do we think John Carter is pure CG? Anyone? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Well, somebody no one somebody's telling it, right? us right that they saw. They saw, uh, they were in somebody's office and they saw one of the, uh, the aliens, like a full size alien. And we, we know well, that, that was me were, at Legacy. Were, there, there you go. Yeah. yeah but the, but those weren't guys whether, in suits. It's unclear whether or not that was filmed or whether that was just a proto. Or just something they made to, or you know, to have. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, all stuff, all that stuff looks, looks CG to me. I don't think there are any models in that movie for the, the vehicles. One there. film that was great of the past re- recent years that 
was strictly models was uh, Moon Duncan Jones that's right. Moon. That's right. That, that was exclusively done with model work, no CG. Right. Which and if you look at it, the visual effects are great. I think, and it's it's a really good movie. And probably you know? done that way out of necessity. Like they didn't have the money for CG. CG. Everybody thinks it's yeah. It's like the cheaper alternative to the old school yeah no, model that, building, definitely. and it, it ain't. Yeah, but that's that's what kills Grossly me about expensive. it. Is that it's not, it, it is certainly if it's done well. It, what 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 Chris Nolan does is not. I mean, he makes very expensive movies, but it's not necessarily more, the more expensive method of, right. of shooting that scene. Yeah, it's you know what it's more it's more it's more unpredictable, right. and you don't you can't perfectly control every frame of the shot. But to, to me, that's that's filmmaking. I mean, that's right. that's part of the wonder of filmmaking. And then one of the things today we we just don't. We don't have any of the great the great mistakes of filmmaking, you know. It's like the happy accidents that that turn into classic scenes because everything is, you know, every action sequence is prevised and, and right. perfectly machined and executed. Right. So by the time it happens, it's just been planned, 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 and now you don't have like, for example, the improv. Jaws, where the shark doesn't work too well, so you wind up with very few shots of the actual shark. Right? Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then a bunch and they of have that to stuff actually builds suspense as opposed to showing you the shark. 20 minutes in right right and and it ended up that movie is actually a much better movie because of that sure because of it when you do you, seeing the shark is so utterly rare sure it's interesting what i remember being surprised that um i sort of thought unfairly because i i was so um upset shall we say at the at the uh star wars prequel trilogy I sort of unfairly thought that there was, that everything was sort of uniformly CG in that and was surprised to discover that certain things like Moss Espa, I think, which is the arena where the pod race takes place, right? Is that Moss Espa? Yeah. 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 Was actually a giant fucking miniature. Right. Right. And the thing they always talk about is how they had those grandstands with all the crowd people in there and the crowd people were little colored Q-tips. Q-tips, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just dipped in paint. So I think I think there's still a lot of models being used, but they're they're being used as elements, and right. then you know they're they're not being used in the way that they were used 30 years ago. Right. Um, and probably that's the best way to do it. I mean, that's what most of the guys that I know who work in practical effects say is that y- you should be blending. You know, you should have an element of reality, something that you're actually building that is practical, right. and of computer graphics when it's needed you know when right. you when you can't do it practically right um i'm 45 brandon you're in your 30s 28 28 you're in you're in your 30s um ryan i'm 32 cohen why is it no one in this room has seen john carter because it just came out don't rush us i'm I'm actually going this week with a writer friend we decided to do a matinee during the week i mean i only read the books in the last like six months so i'm not I'm not a big fanboy yeah not because of the movie just because like i'd never read the trilogy or whatever uh however no fucking interest whatsoever <laughs> in any version of that movie like i enjoyed the books too it's just like all right i'm, I'm good on that story i don't need to see it there you go the books were sufficient yeah you're not idly curious for like eight fifty. And the the the, the, t- uh, the slogan of uh, before Avatar, before Star Wars. It's like okay, fucking eighty years ago. Sure, everything Tarzan too for that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Incredible Journey too is technically a fucking uh, Jules Verne. It's it's yeah. Mysterious Island or whatever. So fucking 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not invested. I also don't know who the dude is. I don't know anyone in it. Yeah. I'm not excited by the Andrew Stanton factor. Okay, well, they're, I'm super stoked for Battleship, so that doesn't make any sense. No. Are you really? Not at all. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so out of movies lately, man. Uh, the last movie I saw and enjoyed was Chronicle, honestly. Yep. Really was. I, I'm so rarely, uh, thrilled by, by, by films this, these days. Did you guys see Chronicle? Nope. No. <laughs> Why not? Uh, it's I don't like know. market research here every now and then. It's like, why didn't you go see <laughs> I don't know. It, it didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I go to, I go to the movies fairly often, but I, you'd be surprised based on, um, the, the kinds of things that I write and what I'm interested in, the kind of movies I go see. Like, I went to see The Artist and I went to see all those. Right. You know, well, the, of course the, you did. The award winning films. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. Was that any good? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a what fan? Oh really? Who's in it? Oh. Pass. What was the last movie you saw that was really good, Ryan? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. It's probably probably The Artist. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What genre movie? I haven't seen seen a lot of that this <laughs> year. Genre movie. That was pretty fucking good. I'd never seen that. How'd that hold up? Uh, I'd never seen it, so it held up to... I'm not sure what it was supposed to be, but there were like four zombies in it, and it was a weird movie. <laughs> four zombies in like two valley girls, right? In the entire movie. It's like the most sparse... Yeah, two valley girls. Like two valley girls. And like a Stallone lookalike guy who also survived the weird comet thing. I don't know. It was on Netflix. I tried it out. Are they remaking that, Ryan? I expect you to know. Uh, I'm I'm remaking it right <laughs> right this minute with an iPhone. Yeah. Uh, I saw Sa- Safe House was really good. I really really liked really? Safe House. Yeah. Okay. Um, you didn't see that? I did not. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, that kind of, we, that kind of movie comes out probably four times a year. But it's been a while since we've gotten the really good, smart version of that. I mean, it, it doesn't. What would you refer to that movie? Uh, what are you referring like the, the spy thriller? You know, but to me, the safe is, house is a spy thriller. Yeah, I think. so. I mean, uh, God, I didn't get that at all. I mean, the was, yeah, materials. I think the marketing was was a little off. This but, is the Denzel movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the story of the movie is that there there is a, a recruit in the CIA who's Ryan Reynolds' character who, um, as part of his kind of proving himself, he has to, he's the housekeeper for this, uh, really high tech safe house in South Africa where uh-huh. got, you know, uh, operatives can come, they can bring prisoners and things like that. And it's a, it's in a non- nondescript building and it's this totally secure, uh, nest sort of inside this, this building. And they bring Denzel Washington's character in there, who's a, purportedly a, a a a cia officer gone rogue right and uh coney and, and then is he playing coney uh yeah basically <laughs> and uh uh you know it's just it's just He's a it, ugandan warlord it doesn't it, it doesn't uh it doesn't pretend to be anything that it's not i mean it's just a very taut very uh well-crafted uh spy thriller from from the uh, uh daniel espinosa who, who directed uh snabacash uh, who directed what? Snabacash. The uh, it was a Swedish film, starring Joel Kinnaman, who is uh, going to be Robocop for MGM. Joel Kinnaman. Kinnaman uh-huh. If anybody saw the the TV show The Killing on uh-huh. AMC, which is an, a remake, which is coming back now, right? It's coming back. Yes. Right. Joel Kinnaman is the the male detective in that show, the very tall, okay, live it a remake blonde on? guy. Uh, it's a what? 
What's it a remake of? The Killing. It's a remake of the film. Uh, no, The Killing is a. Uh, there, there was a uh, some Nordic Scandinavian show um, with the same premise that that right. they remade here in the U.S. It's actually very well done. So instead, it's a murder mystery show that instead of being uh, CSI or Law and Order, where week to week there is a mystery of the week, this is the mystery of the season. So the the murder right. mystery plays out over the course of the season. So you get to know the victim's family very well, all the different suspects, the two detectives that are trying to solve the crime. You just get much more immersed into it. It's a it's a drama instead of a huh. like paint paint by number procedural. And this guy's going to be RoboCop. Yeah, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, yeah. Should he? Excellent actor. Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's a great actor. He really. Uh, there was actually, uh, some interest in him, uh, around him and another project that I, that I worked on. So I've heard his name come up a right, lot. Right. And, uh, and, um, people are really high on him. And I, I think it's a good role for him. He, he kind of does the sort of dark brooding thing very well. Who's directing that Robocop remake? Uh, Jose Padilla, the director of, um. What is happening? <laughs> uh, Who are these This people? is his first, it's going to be his first Hollywood, uh, Hollywood studio picture. He directed, um, this uh i can't remember it i'll I'll think of it in a minute exactly no no there no there was a brazilian uh there was a brazilian film uh elite squad okay and it's uh it's all about the uh the anti anti uh drug ring units the the super elite cop squads that bust up the drug rings down in in uh in rio right and uh he's he's brazilian himself and um he he directed this movie and it was like uh, one of the highest grossing movies ever in Brazil. And then s- based on the success of that, self-financed the sequel. Wow. Which was the highest grossing movie in the history of Brazil. Huh. And now, and he, I mean, it's just great. You know, he's like, he's like the Michael Mann of the Michael Mann of Brazil. I mean, it's, just, right. it's very gritty. You feel like you're in every scene. Um, right. Yeah. Miguel Mann. Mano. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Brendan and I are just like staring at each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, very good. It's film. a whole new world. But yeah, so he's, he's directing RoboCop. Very talented guy. I met with him briefly, and um, and uh, you know he wants to make like a bloody splatter movie. Um, good, just like Verhoeven's. We'll see just if that like actually happens. Yeah. Huh. Did you read the? Um, did you read Frank Miller's RoboCop two comic book series that was out a few years back? I didn't. Basically, they just took his screenplay. Oh yeah. And gave it the full on. You know, no holds barred, no MPAA comic book treatment, and it was pretty terrible. Oh, no good. Not really. Mm. I mean, you hear Frank, you hear Frank Miller and RoboCop, and you think, "Wow, that's a that's yeah." A I just natural. got excited. No. Eh. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. Um, who's watching Walking Dead? I saw the first season. I, I Jesus Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of you're watching. You're stoked about tonight? I think we only have two episodes left. Uh, yeah. What did you think of the Loved it. Loved it. And we shouldn't spoil. We should not spoil. No. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good. Is is the second season better than the first? I felt the first season was, there were a lot of great stuff in it, but it was very kind of up and down. Cohen. You want to weigh in? Yeah. I think the second season started off really slow, but the last maybe three episodes have been better than anything in this show's history. So oh, yeah? Um, I think so, at least. I'm, I'm really fucking psyched. Like, last week was Nicotero, I believe, too, directed it. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, the last three were really, really strong. I love where they're going with the, uh, it's not a spoiler, with like the Shane, uh, whole Lord, Shane character. That's another thing that's different from the comic. Shane's dead by comic five. The kid kills him. Yeah, in the comic books, yeah. Really? Yeah, Rick's son shoots Shane in the throat. Wow. So that, that's different. You like Shane? I don't, I don't, I, there's been some debate online what they're doing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll two weeks from now? Well, there's also another spoiler too. The episode, uh, did you hear about this yet? It's not a huge spoiler. There was a panel or something where, or something leaked where the show release got, uh, leaked online and the, ep- the last episode of the season is called Shane's Last Episode. <laughs> But they might have done that to fuck with us, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Huh. Um, a buddy of mine who will also be on they the just say show that to keep him motivated. Future episode works for the visual effects company Stargate Digital that does all the non Greg Nicotero zombies on the show, the non practical zombies. And um, this is Mike Enriquez, and he's a huge fan of the show, so it's nice for him to be working on something in, in a very, very high capacity that he's all, that he's also watching and loving, but you cannot watch an episode with this guy because suddenly it's like, oh, well, that's not how that's, it's like, you turn and look at him and you're like, what? Isn't there always an element of that when you've been on the other side, though, the creative side? Yeah, than well, the- when you're on the other side of a show where, you know, f- he knows, he already knows because they've had to, they, they're executing shots if they haven't already executed. I think they have executed shots for the last episode. So, you know, he's already, it's blown for him or certain aspects of it are blown for him and, which is perfectly fine. It's just like, but when we're watching an episode, it's like, do not say, you know, <laughs> do not, do not turn to me with a little aside and say, well, you know, I don't want to fucking know. My thing with um, TV is there's so few TV series that I actually hook into that if I hook in if I hook into the premise enough to sort of watch the pilot and then the first few episodes hook me in and keep me hooked, then for me it's weird. It's like I sort of uh, I don't well I'll just say it. I sort of turn my critical faculties off. Like, for me, what's the worst episode of Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica? There isn't one because, I'm sure there is, like, Colonial Day, you know? But it's like, it's still Battlestar. Yeah. I'll still take it. I don't give a shit. That's what people said about episode one when it came out. Yeah, well, how many people in this room, other than Brandon and myself, actually went to see episode one in 3D recently? (laughs) <laughs> he's uh he's got enough of my money <laughs> yeah it's still just as bad i went to a free screening or i probably wouldn't have it's still just as bad it's still it's still <laughs> terrible the 3d was okay but the rest of it was not the 3d was cheap 3d it was sort of like you subtle. lift your glasses off your head just to see what's going on and you're like oh it's not 3d at the moment it's not consistent 3D. I think t- the Titanic 3D treatment is going to be every yeah. every frame of it is going to be 3D. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the film, I think that 3D is going to be awesome. Yeah. 
I would always take a 2D version of a film over 3D, though. Like, we, we went yeah. to Burbank to see Hugo because it was the only place it was playing in regular D. I missed Avatar in theaters in 3D, so I definitely want to see Titanic, I think, just to see the camera. Right, right. Um, who's stoked about Wrath of the Titans? I'm excited about it. I mean, I am. Yeah, I mean, I, you I'm know, all I, about that shit. I think, I think it, I think it looks, it already looks like it's, it's a, it's, it's a grittier, um, bigger film than the first one. And I was down with the first one. I'm, I yeah. was perfectly fine with, really? For the first, yeah, I mean, it didn't open on July 4th or whatever. It didn't open on May 3rd. It opened in fucking March or whatever. And it's like, wow, what a big, like, they gave good Kraken in that movie, in my opinion. Yeah. That's all, you know. Nicely done. Plus lots of other great shit, like Ray Fiennes' Hades or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, um, that's uh, legendary. Has kind of taken over that that slot. They like to like they like to release over that studio. That that well, they have yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but that's the you know every year they like to release one, their big movie in that in that March. Yeah, starting with three hundred right. was the first to right sort of plant the flag. Claim and the interesting March, thing yeah. this year is that one week prior they have the opening of Hunger Games. Right. And if Hunger Games opens huge, it's exactly the same scenario as Lorax versus John Carter. It's like, you know, if L- Lorax opens unexpectedly to $70 million, you you'd yeah. take the usual laws of numbers that apply to box office, domestic box office, and John Carter could never beat it this weekend. Right. You know, because their their drop was not going to be... Right. Well, drop of the Lorax was drop would have had to be more than fifty percent. So yeah, it is interesting with Hunger Games, which is a franchise that, from what I from what I'm sort of getting anecdotally, appeals unlike Twilight appeals, which to which it's been fairly and unfairly compared for lots of different reasons. Uh, Hunger Games actually appeals to males in a major way. Yeah, yeah. and those same males are exactly who Legendary is going after for. Wrath sure. of the Titans one week later. It's going to be interesting to see if Wrath can open in the number one spot. It will be. I think they, I think those two movies live in a different, different places. And I think you will have a lot of people that just love to go to opening weekend that will go to Hunger Games on, on the one Friday and then the next Friday they'll go see, they'll go see Wrath because they saw Hunger Games already. But right. I got to say, like, I am, I have never read the books. I am not a young adult guy. I do not. Hunger Games. Yeah. And I am stoked for that movie. I think that movie looks awesome. There we go. Um, have you read it, Jack? There's another one. I have not. No. Uh, my girlfriend Jillian read it, and she's all into it. So, the guy who, uh, like, my the guy who paints the house here. If there's like, I just have my bathroom repainted or whatever. All about Hunger Games. Yeah. And does ask me. It's like, well, can I get a copy of Break the you know Breaking Dawn DVD for my sister? Who is, I don't know whether she's likewise obsessed with Hunger Games, but I don't think Hunger Games has a problem where women are concerned. Again, it's a female protagonist. I think they're all, they're all taken care of where women are concerned, but I think there are a lot of guys who are all about Hunger Games. Yeah, I think Hunger Games is the, is the typical kind of four quadrant. Totally. Uh, four quadrant movie, because I think a lot of adults have read the book as well, you know, as well as kids. Totally. You got the male and the female. Totally. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I just, the, you know, cause I, I never really like hearing about it the whole way along. I was like, all right, all right. And then I finally saw that trailer and I, I was really, I, I'm into it. I'm into it. It looks, it looks right. really well made. Well, it's basically battle royale. Yeah. Right. Which they're kind of sort of hiding. I yeah. Mean, they're, 
hiding from like the mass audience who doesn't quite know what it is. But obviously anyone who's read any one of those novels knows exactly what it is, which is kids killing other kids for yeah. sport. It's a combination of Battle Royale and Stephen King's The Running Man. Battle Royale is one of my favorite films ever made, but even Battle Royale is the running man with kids. Right. Exact, pretty much exact. It's just, I think so. As far as that, that first death game yeah, or, or, or Lord of the Flies. I mean, you've got a little of that element and a you've also bit. got, if anybody is a true Marvel Comics nerd in the room, you've got the whole Mojo Verse thing. And they so were doing, they were doing that in the eighties. Uh, running, I'm going to say Running Man is Bachman book, so it's like seven, it's sure. early, it's early yeah. 70s, but I do give you that right? mojo thing, yeah. Yeah. I'm just spinning a, making your own television entertainment out of. Yeah, well, uh, mojo you is mojo. this, yeah, I'm, I'm. Modoc, you mean. Modoc. Yeah, yeah. Not mojo, Modoc. Oh, no, 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 no mojo, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, with, right. with yeah, like yeah. long shot and all no, no, that. No, no, totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's this like and alternate. Sugar man and all Yeah, that. yeah, it's this shit. alternate reality where like, this, this, everybody's, uh, everybody's life in this, in this alternate dimension is on TV. So there's like 3,000 TV channels and everything is constantly being, exactly, exactly. This idea that we're constantly being, you know, need to be entertained, entertainment 24 hours a day. Um, but, uh, the mojo, the mojo verse was this alternate universe and he's got this, this channel where they essentially do this, where they have battles to the death, but they're with like super powered people so you have you know long shot was the character that was from this that had some kind of i think his ability was he had he was, he uh, was lucky yeah he was preternatural luck so he and was this just is, this is a marvel comic book yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's ca- no it's no. an x-men it's a shoot off of the x-men it's an universe, x-men right? arc kind of, i think it's yeah. completely self-contained within uncanny x-men actually yeah i think it's like a 30 issue x-men arc from the mid 80s there I'm you go. Pretty sure. Yeah. There yeah. you go. See, and, and some of the stuff is bled through. Like long shot wound up coming back. Come, to our comes universe. over to our side, but yeah, he's yeah. considered a mutant here because of because of that ability of his. Yes. But that's what I that's what I was thinking of when I when I. Do you think that predates Running Man? I don't. No. Uh, I don't know because comics. You know Stephen King. Right. He knows what the fuck's going on in the Marvel universe. Yeah. But if Running Man the movie was made, the Running Man the movie was like eighty three, eighty four. Totally, I'm just right? thinking of Running no, Man eighty seven. Oh, was it? Oh, was eighty seven. And I know okay. Running Man the book was published with it was published with Bachman books, which was like his first five books, like pre carry even, like uh, Rage and and Roadwork and Long Walk. Uh, I'm gonna check it. Yeah, have you ever read Long Walk? That's my favorite Stephen King thing ever. It's a short story about um, it's kind of battle royale ish again too, where every year you pull a lottery. And like 500 males between the, uh, 500 males like aged 18 have to go on like this 200 mile death march and only one survives. And if you slow down, they shoot you. If you stop for a break, they kill you. And you just basically got to keep fucking walking. He was in a good mood that day. I mean, he was like 18 when he wrote that shit. Uh, let's see. Running Man. Science fiction novel. All right. We're getting there. Eighty two, alright. So we're all we're all around the same we're all around the same time. Eighty two Running Man was first published. Okay. So it's all that yeah. early eighties television, reality TV, blood sport. What was that video game? Smash uh Smash T V. Oh yeah. There was a Nintendo game that was this basically too, where it was like a violent blood sport with cameramen filming you and shit like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then along comes Hunger Games. And then along comes Hunger Games. And Matt Cohen is tapping his wrist, indicating that we're approaching or at the 60-minute mark. 
Um, I don't know, dude. Mark my words. It's going to be that conversation is going to turn into Hunger Games drop versus Wrath of the Titans opening in the second week. Yeah. Oh, I think Hunger Games is gonna is gonna it's gonna be huge. Gonna do buffo biz, as they would say, and <laughs> variety in the says, trades, variety trade speak. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wait, what is the term? Uh, buffo. I don't know where this all came from. What but vari- variety has their own fuck. Their own yeah. <laughs> fuckload. Yeah, they they have their and they they have their entire own vocabulary. It's a lexicon of theirs. So like, Prexy is president, and Cume is. Michael, cum- why did you spread a why did you spread a towel on the floor? Oh well, are you in a rush? Okay. <laughs> um, and then the question is, honestly, it's like, um, what's the appeal to, um, what's the appeal of Wrath of the Titans to women? That is, that's a big question. Sam Worthington. Titan, possibly. So here's what I think you have to worry about in that scenario. Like you were saying before, I'm actually excited for Hunger Games. I never read the books. I was in a Barnes and Noble the other day and I actually looked for them to buy and couldn't find them. So I'm down with this whole thing. Titans, don't give a fuck about it. And I am Titans, I am Titans wet dream for, for, for demographics. So you would think, actually I'm really old now that I think about it. Uh, I didn't love the first one. I didn't love the Clash remake. Well, the, more about the original. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of lukewarm anyway. However, I'm down for any male-centric action movie, typically, that, that people put in front of me. I'll give it a chance, whereas I'm way more excited for Hunger Games than I would even think about seeing uh, the Titans sequel. What about that remake of Sophie's Choice? Are you excited about that? Matt Cohen doesn't even think I'm talking to him. Sophie's Dilemma. (laughs) No, Sophie's Run, where um, Sophie and Logan run from the Dome City. Well, that's what you'd have to do it as, right? It would be the sci-fi reinvention. Yeah. It would just be in Sophie's Choice. Is that Logan's Run remake ever going to get going? Uh, And I turn to you now for, like, with all development questions. Yeah, I I think that'll happen. Who's currently attached to direct that? Uh, Who's the umpteenth director? Nick Ruffin, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Director of Drive. And Gosling. Yeah. Great duo, the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have this, uh, somebody just sent me the script to it this week. They have another, yeah, they have another small indie film that they're doing together. Right. But I think, I think Logan's run will happen. Right. Well, they've got so much development money against scripts and director attachments at this point that they almost have to make it. Unfortunately, the last time in recent memory that something like this happened at Warner Brothers where they just kept amassing development money again they keep hiring people to write scripts that they don't make and then they hire someone else and they have to pay that person ultimately with most of these projects once there's like a very very significant pile of cash that's been placed down on top of that chip they actually it they do just go ahead and make it the last time i remember this happening was catwoman oh where they'd spent a fuck ton of money in development yeah brian singer was the first director attached to a remake of Logan's Run, I believe, at Warner. And um, Sounds right. since that time, two or three guys have come and gone. So, yeah. and every director usually triggers the hiring of a writer, the paying of a writer. So they've got, they've, they've, I bet they easily have somewhere between 10 and $15 million in screenplay development against Logan's Run right yeah, now. And that's that. not counting. Whoever Nicholas Reffing will he write? Is he a hyphenate? Will he write his own? 
no, movie? No, he's not a, he's not a so writer. So he'll, hire, mean, a, he'll uh, hire another writer. I think he wrote some of the, the stuff that he did, you know, back in... Uh, Wherever in, he's from, in the, in, in another Scandinavian guy, I believe. Right. Um, but I, I here he's there's always another there's always another writer right. um, involved. Like okay. Drive was written by, was not written by him. Who was Drive written by? Do you know this guy, a guy who's seen something? Hmm. I forget his name. Uh, very well written script. Did you see that movie? Did you like that movie? I saw it. That movie was good. No, <laughs> I didn't eh. see it. Uh, you know what? It's weird. It's like, do you know Char? Who yeah, I loved Char- it. Who knows Charlie DeLazarica? Oh, yeah, we met him. I've met him. Okay. So, Charlie um, put on his Facebook that it was, after he'd seen it, that it was like director porn. He just loved the shit out of it. I kept my mouth shut. I felt like it was totally, it was totally weird, and I should have known given the hot pink sort of cursive logo on the uh, outdoor campaign that I was going in for basically like a New World Vestron movie from mm-hmm. 1986. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like didn't know that enough. And I hadn't read anything about it after it got the big kiss bestowed on it at Con or whatever. So when I went in and saw it, it was just, I, I guess, I don't know. I wasn't prepared for the animal that it was. Now that said, interestingly... I did buy it on Blu-ray, and I bought the soundtrack on CD. So I'm definitely like circling back around to give it another look. But I also think I hate to, you know, again, I hate to admit this, but um, when we went to see it, the, like the hype machine, not the hype machine, but just the culture, the word of mouth hype was running so hot on it that um, I gagged. I gagged on it. It was just like... What the, really? 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 Um, But very often, again, hate to say, very often I will gag on hype, and then I'll come back around. Sometimes sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years. I'll come back around, I'll look at something again, and I'll be like, wow, this is really good, and I love this. But I just resent, I have this thing where I just resent people pushing it on me. And uh, if Charlie DeLazarica ever listens to this, he'll be on here on the show in some future episode i'm sure his uh he got he was like late to it so his i had already seen it by the time he posted on facebook that he loved the shit out of it i'm only citing him as an example of people who love the fucking shit yeah out of that movie they fucking love drive but no oscar love for drive huh and by the way like not a financial success either no i mean it made its money back but yeah but not a but not what they were expecting or hoping for from it let me ask you this, uh, Brandon Allinger. Isn't it weird? Have you guys sold like his jacket, or was that the Golden Closet who sold stuff from Drive? They had some gear from Drive. I don't think they had the jackets though. I heard, but I feel like I've seen the jackets sell within the last six, eight months, and I'm kind of like, yeah, there's some promo replica jackets floating around out there, and some of them might have even been sold off officially. Is there? You, you just go out and buy it. Huh. That's what everybody wants, of course. I, yeah. I just find it, yeah, it's weird. You should, like, run a Google on that. I feel like I've seen his jacket sold as his jacket, and it's sort of like, why is this selling? A, mm, there might have been one in a charity auction or something, but yeah. then if you read the fine print, it says, like, not the actual jacket, a promo jacket or something like right. that. Right. 
Because that director better have that jacket. Or Ryan Gosling should have that jacket. I saw one of the jackets. I was up at uh, the production company that made it, and I saw one of the jackets. Who is? Mark Platt's company. Right. Which is just Mark Platt Productions at Universal, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Very cool. Weird that Mark Platt, of all people, was involved with that movie. That's right. And Bill Condon knows Mark Platt. Bill Condon connection. It's all come around. He's never called during this podcast, but... Yeah. Um, is there anything more you were hoping for from this podcasting experience, Brendan Allen? This has been everything I had dreamed it would be. <laughs> Including one Corona, now empty, I wanted to and learn a Biotest more about Metabolic Life Bar. I wanted to learn more about the Tunisian sex trade. But well, it, I, you know, time. I was riffing on that. We sex all know tourism. about the Thai sex trade. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what virtually guarantees that there is a a thriving sex trade. Really, Matt Cohen? <laughs> um, Ryan? Jack? Do you have anything else to add? I don't. This was uh, great, great fun. Thank you. Do you have any website you want to pimper? You're actually not on Facebook. You're a fucking freak. No, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I, I don't believe in, in, uh, in Facebook. Social media? Yeah. But he's on Twitter. I do, I do. Yeah, you're do on the, Twitter. What I do the, the fuck? Twitter thing. More, more of the Twitter thing is just to follow other people so I can go to one place and get all my news. But I have started randomly tweeting. I'm getting, right. I'm getting married in April and I went to, uh, I went to, um, I had to, uh, I'm getting married in the Catholic Church. So I had to go Congratulations. to the, the, thank you, the pre-cana thing you know where you go and you're does everybody know this where well, well they and they want to know about your facebook they, page they like they, yeah they like it's a it's like a full day session where they they um they tr- they teach you how to how to how to live in a married in a married couple not the church but like a couple within the married couple with, that belongs to the church like it's a it's a day long and you have to do this in order to get married at the right, church right so uh the deal i made with with my fiance is i, w- I will go and i won't complain but you have to let me live tweet the experience and I figured I would get, you know, 10 to 12 tweets out of it. And I had like 130 tweets by the end of the day. I mean, they just kept feeding me absolute, utter gold. And how many, uh, Didn't followers you did you have room? by the end of the week? Yeah, probably. Oh, I got, I got, I got followers on top of followers. I pretty, bet you did. It was pretty that's great. Pretty novel. It was yeah. pretty great. Yeah. It was, uh, it was good. But I mean, you just have these, these things like where, you know, okay, now we're going to talk about financial responsibility. And, uh, the couple begins the financial responsibility section, which lasts an hour and a half by telling you how they, when they got married, they plunged into a hundred thousand dollars of unsecured credit card debt. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't want to hear anything <laughs> from you people about what to do, how to financially plan. I don't care. You know, well, we dug out of it. Well, I was never in a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt. So that puts me out of you. Um, why no Facebook? Uh, I just, you were just, I, you just got burned on Friendster. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> he probably uses Caitlin right. or MySpace. I, I invested a million dollars in Friendster and it did not go well for me. No, I, I, um, I feel like, I, I feel like all the people in my life that I want to know where they are and what they're up to, I, I, I know that or I can find them without Facebook. Right. Um, anybody else, I'm, I'm pretty much, um, I'm not interested in them cold, being, being cold, able to track cold. me down. <laughs> and then Brandon will always point out that, but, but you can set privacy settings so that nobody can find you. And then I say, well, what's the point of Facebook then? Right. So Brandon, no point. I don't, I don't need another time well, suck okay. in my life. Brandon, last night I actually found someone on Facebook, uh, who is connected to your girlfriend, but not you. Really? Who, you know, there are probably, many what's up with like that? that? I don't know. Who is it? I'm not going to say on the air. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you as soon as the mic goes 
called? Oh, oh, it's probably that my friends are private on Facebook, so you can't see anyone who's connected to me. Oh, well, that may be. So maybe we are connected, and I just didn't want you to know about That's it. That's true. Probably my not. Fa- my friends are private on Facebook, too. And who did I learn that from? Actually, Prop Store. Because I was like, it's not Protect even like friends. I was looking. It's just like I noticed that that line was not visible on the left-hand side, and I was just like, ooh, I want to learn how to do that because this is like a very good thing for people not necessarily to it's, know. Yeah, it's just, you know, restrict a bit of information. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, are we wrapped? I guess we are. We never really came up with a title. Uh, Tunisian sex Paradise story. Lost and the Prop Whores. I like that. Brandon, suggestions? Speechless. The Can hung- I has another Corona? The Hunger Debate. No. no. <laughs> you, guys, you guys talked about the Hunger Games for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. It's your show, Jack. You have to title it. What's that? That's the whole title, No in Unison. I'm telling you, Tunisian sex tourism, you will you will go through the roof. What's the rating of the show? Do you have to like submit it There's to no a sense rating? Board? It's podcasting, dude. Well Yeah, it's intertubes. Maybe you should like invent the rating systems like Temple of Doom. Get get the PG thirteen in there. Yeah, exactly. With a beating heart. Um We do it every week now. It's not good. It's not good. Does it have to be decided now? I like that. No, I think it's um the Mojo verse. Really? No. No. Ryan, Brandon, Bran, Rye, Rye, Bran. Um, what's the two head? What's the? You know what it is? Um, episode twenty, whatever the fuck, Eber Sisk. You know what that is? It's the two-headed penis monster from Willow, named after Siskel and Ebert, right along with General Kale, named after Pauline Kale, clearly three critics who gave George Lucas bad reviews for earlier movies, and he got his petty revenge by naming a monster that looks like it's got two penis heads. Run a Google image search for Eber Sisk. That's it. What's Mad Mardigan named after? Who fucking knows? Han Solo. So you're saying George Lucas took revenge on the critics by making a terrible movie called Willow? With Which Pina. featured the Eber Sisk and General okay. Cable. What I'm saying track, is, track since unusually this week we have two guests, it's kind of a two-headed monster, which made me think of the two-headed monster that Perseus is slaying in Wrath of the Titans, mm. which then made me think of, of course, we have to go retro, the two-headed penis monster from Willow. So in a way, you guys both look like dickheads. Eber sis. That sounds like a rap to me. How did we become dickheads? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, I'm Jack Morrissey, and you're. I'm Ryan Condal, Wrath of Condal. I'm Brandon Allinger, dickhead. Black Cohen, Camel Toad. Out. <laughs>